Welcome to this episode of the Sports Medicine Science and Performance Podcast, hosted by Dr. Andy Franklin Miller. I'm delighted to be joined today by Dr. Jacob Reich from the University of Virginia to discuss his paper, The Sensitivity and Specificity of Clinical Measures of Sport Concussion. Three tests are better than one, which is published online in BMJ Open Sport and Exercise Medicine. And that means it's open access for all to uh, read and peruse. It also features in my research review this week. Uh, Jacob, many thanks for giving up your time this afternoon uh, to discuss the paper. Um, For those who have yet to come across your work, do you want to just spend a little bit of time explaining to us um, a little bit about your background, your training and, uh, and your current role? Yeah, um, so first off, thanks for having me. It's quite an honor to be part of this podcast, uh, so thank you. And then I guess a little bit about my background is I completed my doctorate at the University of Georgia. Uh, I spent uh, about four years at the University of Texas at Arlington, and my wife and family and I moved up to the University of Virginia, or Charlottesville, Virginia, uh, in 2014. Uh, it's hard to believe that a couple of years have almost passed since that time. And the, the focus of my research is really twofold. One, it's looking at the measurement properties of current clinical measures of concussion. Uh, and you know, it's kind of the basis of the paper that we're gonna be discussing today. Um, but there's still many other clinical measures that we need to take a look at because sometimes even though something's on the market for uh, clinician consumption or purchase, uh, sometimes the measurement properties are not uh, there in order to support the clinical use or they need to be investigated a little bit further. Um, now, the second piece of that is to say, um, you know, what's next and to explore novel ways to look at sport concussion um, as uh, has been made increasingly aware uh, in the sports medicine community. Sport concussion is not, just not confined to the United States by any means. It's a global epidemic um, with millions of youth athletes or young athletes uh, participating in sport. Uh, but the other piece of that. Uh, is, you know, worrying about the, you know, the unfortunate, but, you know, uh, controversial long-term consequences of one or more concussions with our older athletes or collegiate or professional athletes. So uh, with that being said, uh, we need to be able to effectively identify these individuals as concussed and then provide the uh, most beneficial treatment for them, whatever that is. You know, right now, I think that's another point of contention, but that's something where hopefully my research will go. For sure. And I think, look, you know, the exciting thing about this paper really is it's asking that question. It's asking that question about how we make a diagnosis of concussion um, based on a range of measures. And I think you're you're right. And a lot of the data out there is trying to support a single measure. And I think that's really one of the exciting things about this study and that rather than try and focus on a single measure, you're you're looking at a, a broad range. I guess we ought to probably start with with an idea about what is concussion and, and what would be your what would be your sort of you know your one line or your one paragraph of, of what is concussion? Oh great. Uh, so you know the the definition of concussion has evolved. So now there are a few different definitions, but basically you're looking at a, a, a complex physiological process induced by biomechanical force to the head, neck, or body. Um, and really what happens is it becomes an issue of supply and demand. So as with any injury to the body, whether it's abrasion or a laceration or a concussion, your body's going to require more energy to heal. Uh, and the brain's no different, uh, even though it's neural tissue opposed to muscular or muscle tissue, and that it's going to require more energy in order to uh, 
undergo the healing process. And what we're seeing there is even though a, a regional as a region of the brain has uh, undergo or undergone this uh, stress due to this biomechanical force, uh, and you know it's requiring more energy to heal as would any other tissue. There's a uncoupling of the supply of energy that allows that to happen. So, uh, so an athlete takes a hit to the head, neck, or body, um, and a concussion ensues. So there's this increased demand of energy uh, for that particular region of the brain uh, to heal. But unfortunately, what we know through rodent models, and now we're starting to explore this in human models as well, is we have a 50 per, up to a 50% decrease in cerebral blood flow. And with that, uh, uh, decoupling of supply and demand. So that decrease in cerebral blood flow ultimately leads to a lack of substrate delivery to a particular area. Um, we have a inability for that area to heal as it would like to do in a, a normal um, situation. So we you know, define this as a, a metabolic crisis. And what we know about this metabolic crisis is that uh, it's highly variable in terms of the healing, in like how long would it take for individuals uh, cognitive state or how long would it take for everything to go back to a level of homeostasis it, with it being anywhere from some athletes recover within three days, some take longer, 15 days, or some take several months. Uh, we say for adult athletes, this metabolic crisis resolves within seven to 10 days, but for our younger athletes, so pediatric athletes defined as anything below 19 years of age, uh, it could, on average, take up to 15 days, but of course, we have individuals that last much longer than that in terms of their ability to go back to a, a, a level of homeostasis or um, ability for the brain to fully heal. And and so, I guess that's where really the the hypothesis for this study originates, in the sense that at present there isn't that consensus on what tests form an assessment battery in providing that assessment, I guess, of of that neurocognitive function. That, that we would expect to be altered in that state. Right, and I think one of the important things to stress here, and as of 2016, our gold standard is really the clinical examination. Uh, in most cases, it's gonna be physician-driven. Uh, some states, uh, especially in, uh, in the US, have opened that up to well beyond that with our state legislation that's been passed looking at other healthcare professionals such as neurologists, athletic trainers, um, and others that could um, accurately diagnose the injury. Uh, so. That being said, um, sometimes that gold standard doesn't hold um, just because of an individual's awareness of the injury, uh, what clinical symptoms may be present, various forms of testing that um, act as tools to assist with the clinical examination. So it's really relying on this uh, uh, toolbox, if you will, to say, is there one measure that can accurately diagnose the injury? And I would say right now, no. Uh, but if not, and that's currently the case, well, what battery of tests uh, would be ideal for assessing the injury? And I, it's important to note that since 1997, um, a battery of tests has been recommended starting with the American Academy of Neurology um, in order to assess concussion, but it still hasn't really taken hold in terms of everyone employing this multidimensional approach. Uh, so two things. One, uh, the purpose of this paper was to um, really stress the need for that multidimensional approach or multiple or multi-facet uh, approach to concussion assessment. Uh, the second piece is to really remedy the issue or try to provide support for um, individuals uh, that may not have the human resource or the financial resource in order to employ a battery test. 
Um, of course, we need to go into the study thinking, you know, this is what our results are going to be. But at the same time, um, our results do, I feel, support that uh, that need of additional resources in order to make sure we're doing to the uh, a clinician can assess an athlete to the best of his or her ability um, and not be limited in terms of uh, time or financial costs. Uh, and so the results from our study, I think, somewhat support the need for those additional resources in order to, again, do what we know is best as of 2016 in order to assess concussed athletes. For, for sure. And so you selected a battery of tests um, uh, to include in this study. Um, do you want to tell us a little bit about them? You used IMPACT. Can you tell me a bit about that? Yeah. So IMPACT is a computerized neurocognitive test. Uh, it was introduced in the late 1990, or 1990s, uh, I think it was around 1998 or so. And IMPACT is one of the most commonly used computerized neurocognitive tests uh, in the United States among surveyed athletic trainers. So depending on what article you review, around 93 to 95% of individual certified athletic trainers that use uh, computerized neurocognitive testing use IMPACT. There are other platforms on the market, such as uh, ANAM, uh, Concussion Vital Signs, CNS Vital Signs, um, Axon Sport. But given this is what we were using at our uh, uh, research lab or our university at our time within a sports medicine protocol, it made sense to go ahead and use the impact in order to assess um, this question or to test this question of, you know, what is the sensitivity and specificity of this test um, in isolation, but also as part of a larger battery. And I think it's uh, important to note that, uh, you know, with most of my research, I try to be extremely unbiased in terms of what we find and we still use the impact at the University of Virginia. Um, and I think one of the take-home points is, you know, it's one form of this type of testing. So uh, even if you were to use a different platform, um, I think the results might hold. That question still needs to be answered. Uh, but still, if you use ANAM, uh, uh, Axon or Concussion Vital Signs, we're still going to support the use of multiple tests in order to assess concussion. But again, IMPACT is just one form of the computerized neurocognitive test testing that we commonly use to assess concussion. Uh, and it's one tool that we have in order to complement the clinical exam, as well as the other tools that I've, uh, I'll probably talk about here in a little bit. Uh, so that being said, um, that's why we opted to use that one particular form of computerized neurocognitive testing. And simply, it, it was clinically relevant for our particular institutions. For sure. And, and I mean, you mentioned there, there are obviously other, other varieties, but it's really a component, isn't it? It's a, you're actually you're looking at a, a broken down version, um, uh, which you can use uh, or sub-analyze the, uh, the subgroups of what you're producing. Yeah, so if you look across different platforms, you know, if you look at the different types of neuro computerized neurocognitive testing that are in the market, uh, they pretty much measure the same constructs, such as reaction time, information processing, some form of verbal or visual memory. Uh, so regardless of, you know, of course, the platforms are all different, the way they present their stimuli, et cetera. But a lot of them are trying to measure the same construct. So, uh, again, impacts the one that we chose for our study. And, um, you know, we'd like to uh, maybe in future research look at different platforms as well. Um, and I think that kind of goes into understanding what currently is clinically available for testing and really making an evidence-based decision on saying, well, this is why we use this particular platform opposed to another. 
for sure. But as you as you rightly say, there's you know there's it's a combination of memory, reaction time, and ability to score them. So so very practical test that can be done and doesn't really need that level of clinical oversight necessarily at, in order to deliver the test. Well, for that, you know, we uh, you know the one thing that I will take the stance on is some of the market. Um, so some of the market has suggested that these particular tests can be taken in a home environment. Uh, with parental supervision, I strongly discourage that. I still think these tests need to be administered by a, a healthcare professional, and specifically uh, one that has some form of training administering or in order to administer the test. So, Impact has its own form of education for clinicians in order to administer the test, uh, and the other tests have their own form of education. But it needs to be someone that uh, can administer the test that a, is a healthcare professional that has training with the test but also is able to control the environment because I do believe, and I think uh, one of the test developers has, has said this in the past, you really do uh, get out what you put in in terms of this test. Um, so for instance, for the study that we're gonna be discussing, uh, these particular tests were administered in a one-on-one -on -one fashion opposed to a group testing session, et cetera. Um, so I think we really try to do uh, this, these study procedures but our clinical procedures to the best of what we can at the university level. For sure. Um, moving on, one of the other things that you looked at was a form of assessment of balance, a, uh, a smart balance uh, score. Can you, can you talk us through a little bit about how that was conducted? Yeah, so uh, we used a measure of computerized dynamic osteography, um, and that form uh, was in the form of a test called the sensory organization test. And as of 2016, that's considered the gold standard for the balance of assessment. And it's really been known as the gold standard uh, for the last you know, 10 to 15 years, uh, especially when it's for concussion. And with that form of testing, what happens is the individual stands within the, it's the Neurocom Smart Balance Master, uh, and they undergo a series of sensory challenges. And what I mean by sensory challenges, different conditions are meant to perturbate uh, somatosensory, visual, or vestibular inputs. And what happens is, as an athlete or a participant would complete six uh, uh, successive conditions, the challenges would become uh, increasingly more difficult as you gauge uh, or try to gauge one sensory input in isolation to multiple sensory inputs. So, for example, for the first condition, an individual would be standing on a force plate uh, surrounded by three walls with neither the walls of the force plate moving, simply standing still and being asked to try to maintain your balance. But by the time they get to condition six, their eyes are open. And the force plate in both the force plate and the walls are adjusting according to the anterior posterior sway of the individual completing the test. So it can be rather difficult. And what we get out of this test is a equilibrium score, a composite balance score. So that's one component that we get out of the test, which uh, again is considered the gold standard for balance assessment. That said, uh, we also look, are able to look at the different sensory inputs, maybe to detect maybe there's an issue with vestibular input compared to visual or somatosensory input, as well as looking at the postural sway strategy. Um, and that's simply saying, you know, how does this individual like to maintain their uh, postural stability? And does that change post-injury? And then as they uh, gradually recover over time, does that strategy return back to where it was prior to the concussion that occurred? So again, uh, computerized dynamic osteography is one way to assess balance. There are, of course, other ways to assess balance that are a little more cost-effective as well. So to give you an idea, the SOT, depending on what platform you use, ranges on cost from 
around $60,000 to $130,000, where there are other platforms that are available. But to my knowledge, um, none of them have been really looked at in terms of a battery and test. So like the balanced error scoring system is a very clinically friendly uh, uh, measure of postural stability. Uh, That said, it's $40. Um, and I think it would be really interesting to take a look at that and combine that with a battery test uh, with computerized neurocognitive testing and symptoms. There are some moderately priced platforms that are more force plate oriented um, and they cost anywhere between twelve and $17,000. Um, but, you know, for this study, we really try to use the gold standard coupled with most commonly used computerized uh, neurocognitive tests and uh, a relatively um, uh, frequently used uh, measure of self-reported symptoms in order to look at the sensitivity and specificity of each measure in isolation, but also as a battery test. For sure. And I, look, let's just talk about those those symptom scores, because um, certainly I've had some exposure to them both in military brain injuries as well as concussion. And obviously, the, they're very variable in terms of patient symptoms and actually how they, they feel they relate to sort of on, ongoing. We'll talk a little bit about sensitivity and specificity in a second, but... Um, which scoring system did you use for the, the patient re- referred, sort of the patient reported symptoms? You know, we used a scale that was a little bit older. Um, there have been different scales that have been proposed really since 2000 and, I'm sorry, 1998 with the River Mead uh, symptom questionnaire uh, and different takes on the River Mead. Uh, you had Scott Pylan's seminal work looking at different construct validity. Uh, systems looking at night items uh, or uh, more symptoms that you can actually say, well, we really don't need to ask about so many symptoms. We can whittle it down to a night item scale. Um, But there are a variety of scales that are available. So we use a revised head injury scale, which was something that we was used for Scott Pylon's work, um, but also others have looked at. And the nice thing about the revised head injury scale is it doesn't only take into account severity, uh, according self-reported severity. So we would basically ask um, an individual rank the severity of a headache, whether it was um, not at all severe to the worst possible headache they've ever had, um, and rank down on a Likert scale. The thing that makes our um, use of this symptom inventory unique is it also takes into account duration for the last 24 hours. So during the last 24 hours, have you experienced that headache for a brief amount of time, usually defined as around 15 minutes, um, or has it been consistent during the last 24 hours? And again, this is self-reported, but this is something where it could be highly variable or subjective based on um, the athlete's ability to recollect how long they experienced the symptom. But uh, we had uh, another publication that looked at this particular scale and found that if we, again, look at a battery of tests and all the outcome scores from a battery of tests, symptom duration for the 24 hours leading up to the assessment was a very good predictor of uh, if an athlete would recover within 10 days or beyond 10 days. So it's a, it's a really, uh, it's an older scale. It has 22 items, um, but it's unique in that it takes into account both severity and duration. Um, and so that's a symptom scale that we elected to use for this study. Um, and I, I think it does give us some meaningful information. For sure. And you, you collected this data over a 10-year study period. And one of the, I guess, one of the really exciting things about being able to, to chat to you rather than just read the paper is to get a better idea of those, that patient flow. Um, 
And um, you, overall, there were 109 students who had a concussion within this cohort. But can you just give us an idea of actually how that cohort was collected and over what sort of time period and how many athletes were really involved in the screening process? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, first and foremost, this study would not be possible unless um, we had a wonderful team of certified athletic trainers working with us to help arrange the data collection over this 10-year period. Um, so if you're not familiar with athletic training, um, we're healthcare professionals that deal with the prevention, management, and rehabilitation of sport injury. So those individuals uh, at the University of Georgia, University of Texas, or Arlington, um, assisted with the arrangement of baseline data collection. So baseline data collection is uh, data collection that happens before an injury takes place. So individuals would report to the laboratory. They would complete the impact. They would complete the sensory organization test, as well as the self-reported symptom inventory, as well as we get uh, just general demographic questions and health history questions out of the way, such as concussion history, history of brain disability, ADHD, et cetera. Now, in the event of a concussion, the athlete would return to our lab uh, when they could. So ideally, if we have a team on the road, it's not immediately after the injury. Um, so that may have taken away from an athlete participating in our study because the criteria for our study is we want to get an idea of the sensitivity and specificity of these instruments at, uh, within a 24-hour period. And that model is really based off a model employed by Steve Brilio um, in a very landmark study from 2007, looking at the same question, uh, except with a different statistical methodology. Um, and then I'd also be very uh, uh, misspoken if I didn't mention that uh, work by Philip Schatz in 2006 um, also addressed the sensitivity and specificity of impact that really drove this study. Uh, but the reason why I bring them up is they had varying time frames. Uh, uh, Dr. Schatz used a little bit longer time frame in order to um, recruit concussed participants, where we really tried to adhere to that 24-hour time point. And you, you mentioned the number of individuals that had concussions, and our final sample size was a little bit less than that, or quite a bit less than that. And that's because some of the athletes were on the road when they had their injury. Uh, we really tried to get it within that 24-hour time point to say, uh, you know, what is the sensitivity and specificity of these tests a day after injury? Uh, because I think this is also somewhat clinically, or this is clinically relevant in terms of, you know, if a college athlete has an injury, they're probably going to be assessed the following day, or most likely they're going to be assessed the following day unless they have a, uh, a road trip that they're coming back off of. Or at the high school setting, it could be a follow-up assessment on the next weekday or um, you know, for our high school athletes, we're a little more forgiving. We like to say within 72 hours for our research, but still we wanted to get the representative uh, data of 24 hours post-injury. So over a 10-year period, data was collected um, over two sites uh, between, like I mentioned, the University of Georgia as well as the um, University of Texas or Arlington. And again, uh, you're dealing with the University of Georgia that has uh, – you know, women's soccer, contacts, uh, sports such as football. And then so that was uh, a large amount of the number of concussions that we saw. And then when I uh, transitioned to the University of Texas Arlington, they didn't have women's soccer, men's soccer. They didn't have football. So our number of concussions went down, but we're still able to add to our database in order to collect the appropriate number of injuries that we needed. Uh, so that being said, that's where um, our sample size um you know, varied from the number of injuries that we saw over two sites to the number of injuries that 
we included in our database. For, for sure. And the point of this study is to look specifically at that sensitivity and specificity in combination. Um, and so actually the overall number probably is less important. But in terms of the number screened of, of athletes, it, it sounds like a very big operation in terms of, of multiple sites, multiple codes. What sort of volume of, of students undergo the, the combined screening process? So uh, all athletes, um, you know, and our definition switched a little over time. You know, with the NCAA, it used to be those athletes that are high risk for concussions. So if you go down the epidemiology uh, statistics, you can say that it's uh, football, wrestling, men's and women's basketball, uh, volleyball, baseball, softball, uh, men's and women's lacrosse. But now we actually test all sports. So if you look at the incoming freshman class of any university, that'll give you an ideal amount of how many individuals had to complete screening. Um, so uh, currently at the University of Virginia, because although that um, our athletes here were not part of this particular study, uh, we're continuing similar work with this uh, sample. We've screened through roughly 700 athletes. Um, so again, it's a large sample to deal with, but it's Again, it's not just for research sake, but it's also for clinical care as well. So this data is not only used for research, but our clinicians look at it and say, um, we need this in order to make clinical decisions in case an injury does ensue. So you're right. It does. It's very time-consuming research. And unfortunately, uh, fortunately, unfortunately, uh, we can't go out and cause concussions. So collecting the number of injuries that we did did take 10 years. Um, in order to get the appropriate sample size. And I think that's one of the challenges with concussion research is if you don't have a large enough sample, it, it can take a very long time to do um, you know, various interventions or research such as ours just to get the number of requisite concussions or participants and match controls in order to do research such as the uh, research that we did in this article. For sure. And I think, look, one of the, the important things um, is that the increased awareness behind concussion uh, and the media attention that it's had, certainly in the last 12 to 18 months, will certainly, I think, reflect in the clinical presentation of those who have concussive type symptoms, um, maybe with or without concussion because of the necessarily attention. That can only be a good thing in terms of um, the potential health benefits but I guess it leads on to my next question, really, in terms of sensitivity and specificity. So trying to decide whether a test itself is sensitive or specific relies on us making the actual accurate diagnosis of concussion. And I can see an almost circular argument developing in terms of, you know, how do we make that diagnosis if we're not sure of the sensitivity and specificity? Do you want to talk a little bit about the, how you approach that, that question in terms of looking at this in-series testing? Yeah, so for the particular study that we did, we relied on the gold standard for concussion diagnosis, which I mentioned before was the clinical examination and the physician's diagnosis. So one of the things that uh, we knew for sure was these athletes were diagnosed with a concussion. Okay, so there wasn't a chance of individuals being screened that did not have a concussion, which I think adds to the strength of saying this is actually the sensitivity and specificity of this injury based on what we know at the time and what continues to be a gold standard. Uh, now, that being said, uh, with this question in mind, it's important to really stress that, uh, you know, we're reporting the sensitivity and specificity of these different measures, but we're not saying that the battery test is a replacement for clinical judgment. 
So uh, if you review the paper, you can see that there is very variable sensitivity and specificity depending on whether you're looking at computerized neurocognitive testing, in this case impact, um, our advanced uh, balance assessment or self-reported symptoms, but those are only tools. Um, you know, we'll have athletes that um, we'll, we'll screen here at the University of Virginia that, you know, do well in this form of testing, but yet still the clinical judgment that says, you know what, it's my clinical expertise, it's, you know, based on my clinical examination, we don't feel like you're fully recovered yet, but yet we do have these additional tools to help us provide insight that we normally would not have. So again, that, as I mentioned before, there's really no perfect tool yet that can be used in isolation to assess concussion. And when we say, you know, let's look at the sensitivity and specificity of these uh, measures, we're not saying, you know, this is the perfect combination. Rather, uh, be aware of the sensitivity and specificity of these measures as shortcomings, saying, this is why we cannot rely on this test individually. Um, and this is why we don't look at this as being the sole measure of uh the the diagnosis or the recovery from a concussion. Rather, let's use this data as a, a supplementary um, uh, data source to say, how can this aid my clinical examination? Is this showing me something that I'm not picking up? Or does this verify or validate or assist in the validating of what um, I believe about this particular patient, this particular uh, participant for the study? For sure, and I think actually the, the results are, are powerful in that effect. So um, for the purposes of the, the, uh, the listener, um, the HESS uh, score your, in your study demonstrated a sensitivity of 77.5%. Um, impact alone without um, the total symptom score uh, had a sensitivity of 52%, let's say, and um, the balance test was 72.5% sensitive. It, the variation between the sensitivity actually really does highlight actually the results, and I'll, I'll, I'll let you explain what happens when you put them in series. Um, but uh, the impact sensitivity on its own certainly fits with sensitivity of other um, neurocognitive screening tests um, in that score. Why do you think the sensitivity is so variable in those tests? You know. I think that's a big question right now. I think the majority of my research is addressed. And I, I, I always, whenever I speak publicly, I always say, you know, we use impact, you know, and I think our goal is not to point out limitations of using impact because we absolutely use it. And it's something that we try to use to the best of our ability. Um, and I think one of the things that we're still exploring and what we published on elsewhere is, um, you know, what are the sources of error that cause fluctuations in performance on the test? Uh, impact was created based on traditional paper and pencil tests, which are administered by uh, licensed and board certified neuropsychologists. So these are experts that are face to face with a patient um, that administer sometimes lengthy neuropsychological test batteries that gain so much information, not only from the test, but from the patient's APEC that normally you can't pick up with the computerized neurocognitive test. So what IMPACT did at the time, um, and others have done, is they have come up with a uh, seemingly concurrent valid way to uh, administer a battery of neuropsychological or neurocognitive uh, tests within a brief period of time that's standardized um, via a computerized platform that is both somewhat time and cost effective. Uh, most of these tests range from 15 to 30 minutes to administer. And so 
Um, that said, um, there have been papers published and we published a paper on impact. Again, we're not, we use impact. We, we don't say don't use impact by any means. Um, that showed that the reliability and others have showed, uh, demonstrated the reliability of this test to be variable, um, ranging from weak to strong, depending on what you're looking at. And uh, we are actually working on a publication right now that we're looking to submit, looking at a head-to-head -head comparison of three computerized neurocognitive tests that basically shows that regardless of what platform that you use, the reliability varies from weak to strong. Um, and with that reliability, what I'm suggesting is that participant performance on these tests is highly variable from one time point to the next. And then you start asking the question, well, why is that? Um, we've published papers looking at the alternate forms of the test. So impact, like other uh, platforms on the market, have um, alternate forms that have been created in order to minimize the practice effects associated with repeated exposure. Um, we published a paper in neuro, um, the clinical neuropsychologist and demonstrated that the forms aren't necessarily equivalent to one another. Um, there are forms that are for all composite scores, but we did have a comparison of, say, form one to form three, where verbal memory was different between forms. Uh, but again, that's just saying, you know, there's error associated with this test, which then affects the reliability, or, you know, we theorize um, affects reliability or the consistency of test performance across time, which inherently uh, addresses or affects um, the issues that we see with variable sensitivity and specificity. Sure. And, and I think that, again, adds strength to why you went to address multiple tests in series to see whether or not that composite score actually improved the position that you could in terms of making the diagnosis, but also in terms of that, that recovery process. Do you, do you want to just expand a little on, on what you actually found when the tests were used in combination? Yeah. So I, I think one of the unique things about this study, I mentioned that um, Dr. Schatz and Dr. Brolio uh, were kind of the... Um, to be credited for this study in terms of they looked at uh, sensitivity and specificity using two different statistical techniques. Uh, so Dr. Broglio looked at uh, sensitivity only, couldn't calculate specificity because there wasn't a control group. Uh, but he looked at sensitivity, sensitivity by looking at the number of known uh, concussions and the uh, denominator of, of an equation. And the numerator, he had those individuals that are clinically are uh, demonstrating clinically significant change on the impact, the SOT. He also looked at um, concussion sentinel and he calculated sensitivity that way. So again, the number of individuals that were uh, deemed as having a significant change using a particular measure divided by the total number of known concussions. Now, Dr. Schatz looked at uh, descriptive discriminant analysis as well as predictive discriminant analysis in order to calculate sensitivity and specificity. And I guess the question came up of, well, just because it's statistically significant, and especially with health research, doesn't mean it's clinically relevant. Um, so I want to ask the question, well, let's look at a combination of what Dr. Brolio's methods were, Dr. Schatz's uh, methods, and say, well, how much do they vary? So what we found is that if we look at predictive discriminant analysis um, in order to correctly uh, calculate sensitivity and specificity, when we employ the entire test battery, so uh, looking at self-reported symptoms, looking at a computerized neurocognitive test, and looking at the sensory organization test, 
we found that the battery correctly identified concussed individuals as being concussed um, 80% of the time. Now, uh, with specificity, with a complete battery of tests, we found that 97.5% of healthy individuals were correctly classified. Uh, and I think that's very striking because you look at the individual tests and uh, with the exception of uh, self-reported symptoms and impact with self-reported symptoms, uh, specificity is quite a bit higher than impact without self-reported symptoms in the sensory organization test. But if you look at sensitivity, uh, it possesses the most sensitivity. Or in other words, it, uh, the entire test battery or administering a test battery reduces the amount of error associated with correctly identifying as a patient as concussed when concussed. Now, let's compare that to how these tests are currently marketed and inter interpreted clinically. So we just discussed the statistical approach. Clinically, if we look at um, how these tests are interpreted, so for impact using the reliable change index for self-reported symptoms, um, there are variable ways to look at, is there a clinical change? We actually looked at standard deviation um, as scoring outside of the standard deviation as a clinical change, the same way with the sensory organization test. Uh, we found that the sensitivity was 100%, which is pretty outstanding. And I guess if you were looking at this and using the clinical interpretation guidelines, um, you're saying that 100% of concussed athletes demonstrated uh, a clinical change on the battery and test. But if you look at it individually, you can see that uh, sensitivity is a little bit uh, considerably higher in most regards, except for the sensory organization test compared uh, to uh, the uh, statistical method of interpretation. So uh, again, said again, predictive discriminant analysis sensitivity ranged anywhere from 52.5% to 77.5% uh, uh, for each test in isolation, where if you look at the clinical interpretation guidelines, sensitivity ranged anywhere from 55% to 97.5%. Um, so I think I wanted to... Uh, the important aspect of the study is to say, regardless of what interpretation method you're looking at, whether it's a clinical interpretation guideline or if it is uh, a more of a statistical method, strength is in multiple tests being administered. So it's the entire test battery that should be administered to complement the clinical examination when assessing a concussed athlete. And and I think you you almost answered my next question beautifully. And, my, and the, the next question was really going to be, well, is there a role? Is, do you ever see the, uh, the possibility of a, a single test battery or a single test for concussion? And we, we've all seen the, the marketeers in action over the last 12 months in terms of their, their device, be it an accelerometer or be it some sort of compression device or a tracking um, maneuver. Um, do you think there's going to be a role for that single test battery? Or do you think that actually... It's really the expansion, and as your studies demonstrated, that it's a, a multitude of different components that are required in order to, to take this multimodal complex injury uh, uh, accurately. Yeah, so you know, this is a point where it, I've done research in this area for um, you know, the last you know, few years, or the last several years. And one thing that's becoming increasingly clear is I do feel like there's a ceiling effect for our current clinical measures of concussion. Meaning, uh, regardless of the platform, computerized neurocognitive tests, and there's also a wonderful paper by Lindsay Nelson that I'm going to draw attention to uh, that does a head-to-head -head comparison of um, axon 
uh, A&M and impact in terms of the test retest reliability and also sensitivity and specificity. Um, and one of the take-home points that kind of validates what I'm about to say, as well as this paper and other paper that papers that have looked at reliability and sensitivity and specificity, is they're only going to be so good. Even if we do a battery of tests, you know, that's not time nor cost effective. But in isolation, a test, a computerized neurocognitive test, in my opinion, will only be so good. And what we can currently do or what uh, uh, we can look at is how do we make this test more time and cost effective? Um, so as I mentioned, tests range from 15 minutes to 30 minutes. Well, reliably, if we look at visual and verbal memory scores, they're the least reliable uh, cognitive uh, constructs that are measured using that particular tool. Well, can we refine the tool in order to focus more on reaction time and information processing? Uh, and the same thing be said about the sensory organization test. Can we do something in order to streamline the test in order to not necessarily improve the measurement properties, but to maintain the measurement properties with making the test more time and cost effective, which is really, a, we're, I think with concussion assessment, uh, we're at an exciting time where uh, we're starting to see a lot more interdisciplinary collaboration in order to investigate this idea of what is the true gold standard? You know, what different things uh, are ways to look at this injury exist that could potentially replace the battery of tests? Um, is it a serum or a plasma biomarker? Is it an advanced neuroengine technique? Um, is it uh, something that we would do a, a, a Q-tip or a, a cotton tip applicator swab? Um, that would give us genetic information that would be able to say these athletes are predisposed to having one or, or multiple concussions or a negative consequence of concussion. So in the meantime, uh, I think it's important for clinicians to be aware of the limitations of our current tests and look for tests that maybe not serve as a singular substitute for the battery of tests that we studied, but that maintain the measurement properties of the uh, the current measures that we have just discussed with uh, computerized neurocognitive testing, self-reported symptoms, battery, um, sorry, balance assessments. Maintaining those measurement properties while being more time and cost effective, um, and it's very important to have the evidence to support that, um, while we wait, uh, while new research or novel applications are being looked at in terms of sensitivity and specificity of concussion, uh, to see if there's going to be a singular measure or a blood panel or um, uh, you know, a, a novel measure that you know doesn't even exist yet that could replace what we're currently doing. Um, but at the same time, again, I think that what the paper really, really addresses that even in 2016, it's the battery of tests that is the, um, if you will, the gold standard in order to assess a concussed athlete and in order to complement clinical examination rather than replace it. Sure, and, and look. I guess, you know, the hindsight and, and, and things move on. It, if you were to design this study today, moving forwards, is there another test that you would include right now? Is there something that you would have been interested in comparing or adding into that matrix? Um, or, uh, you know, if you, had your, if you had your chance, what, what would you fire in? Being conscious of that, that time and cost uh, ratio, but is there anything else you would add? You know, I'm very cautious about this because, you know, I think in order to incorporate a new test into a, a concussion battery, um, uh, you know, I'd be want to, I want to make sure that I'm making an evidence-based decision. So uh, we are looking at a few new measures here. 
Uh, we're looking at the King Divic test. We're looking at the C3 logic system um, in terms of test retest reliability. And if that holds, then the next question is, well, let's start collecting evidence of sensitivity and specificity. That said, um, I would still be reserved in saying, okay, let's look at these in terms of what it's telling us for our clinical examination. Um, instead, I would say at this point, let's use this information to um, develop the evidence and disseminate the evidence to assist clinicians in making evidence-based decisions with their concussion management protocols. So um, again, the King David test is um, in, being increasingly used. Uh, there are other measures that have uh, definitely increased in popularity, such as sway balance. Now they have a reaction time test as well. Um, the C3 logic system seems like a, it's an interesting approach in order to uh, come up with a more portable uh, battery of uh, tests in order to assess concussion. But at the same time, um, I think the evidence needs to precede the clinical use. And that's true for anything. Um, and it should be no different with concussion. Uh, so there are tests that we're looking at um, in order to explore their measurement properties. But again, we're also at UVA very interested in asking the question, what's next? And I would be amiss to say we're not exploring those um, questions to say, in the meantime, let's use these measures. But can we, can we find that? Um, gold standard? Can we find that uh, sensitive biomarker or, you know, substitute clinical measure here uh, that would kind of be a, lead to a paradigm shift in terms of not only being a diagnostic measure being, but being also a prognostic measure. So can we find a measure that not only diagnoses the injury, but then can double as a treatment? Um, and that would be a very exciting discovery. For sure. And, I, you know, I, that's a great answer because I think, you know, absolutely, ultimately, it's great that we can make the diagnosis, but really what we need to be able to affect now as well is the rehabilitation and the ongoing management of concussion in order to make that broader health difference as, as well as recognizing it. Absolutely. And look, I, I, we might start to, to wrap that up, uh, Jacob. It's fantastic talking to you. I, I guess it would be remiss of me not to uh, to say, look, what can you share with us? That's that's with the ethics panel now for work in the future. What's on your what's in your department's plans? Obviously, with the limitations of of uh, sort of that that uh, competitive nature of research. Yeah. So uh, right now we are looking at some exciting new measures of sport concussion. I, I can't share exactly. Um, some of the measures are working on, but I, I think there's a room for, you know, combining the fields of exercise physiology as well as uh, sports medicine to look at concussion in a different way. And a lot of the questions, and it's, I had a wonderful conversation with one of our fantastic undergrads at the University of Virginia this morning talking about there are a lot of questions that seem to be overlooked um, over the last 20 to 25 years of concussion literature that still need to be addressed. Um, something as simple looking at the test retest reliability of impact um, or the sensitivity and specificity, you would think would have been done um, with several uh, reiterations during the past 25 years, but only a few studies or a handful of studies have done that. And I'm, I'm very excited that our, our research team was able to contribute to that. Um, but I still think there are some questions that, um, that we can borrow uh, some methods from maybe moderate or severe brain injury and try to go, go backwards a little bit and say, well, can we apply this to mild traumatic brain injury or really refine, um, or I shouldn't say refine, but look at the definition of concussion and say, well, are there measures of that metabolic process that we can do to give us an insight into what's going on with the brain? Is it 
isolated to the cranium or is it a global event? I think those are some really exciting questions that we're embarking on here, as well as, of course, you know, looking at novel measures of uh, balance um, and also looking at, you know, what are some sources of error associated with computerized neurocognitive tests? Because, again, it's not necessarily that we're trying to replace anything, but rather I would love to say, okay, if you're going to invest um, so many, uh, so much of a financial resource into um computerized neurocognitive test, I want you to be able to administer it and feel good about the results without questioning, are these reliable results? Are these valid results? And you can take that approach to any of the current clinical measures that we're doing. So I, I know it's, I'm kind of dancing around the direct responses, but I apologize for that. I have to uh, be a little bit protective, but at the same time, I'm really excited about what our, not only what you know my line of research is, but be able to work with these really wonderful doctoral students um, graduate students and other faculty across the country in order to um, answer these really interesting questions and hopefully come up with some exciting results. It, it would be amiss to say that on Monday morning when I check my inbox, I have my uh, subscription to PubMed and I have the results from the new concussion-related research uh, populate my inbox. And I want to read each and every one of the articles just because it's such an exciting time and uh, in terms of what people are finding, not in isolation, but as an interdisciplinary team. Uh, and I, you know, I would be amiss to say, again, to stress, you know, the research that we you know, spoke about today is not possible. And you know, if you look at larger sample size, it's really not possible without the front line being the certified athlete trainer being there to um, be there prior to, during, and throughout the rehabilitation process from sport concussion. Um, so it, we're spreading globally. So in the UK, we have Artie and others that um, are developing the profession of athletic training, athletic therapy, in order to put someone on the sideline or on, on the pitch that is well-versed with sport concussion and can help identify uh, the injury to remove the athlete so they, um, you know, remove themselves from harm's way um, in order to seek out the appropriate evaluation in order to administer the tests that we've uh, published on here. Uh, but again, this research wouldn't have been possible without those individuals being on the front line for us to identify participants. Um, but uh, I, I think that, you know, that's my last uh, uh, pitch there. But I, again, I can't stress um, the interdisciplinary efforts of this paper. As you can see here, this was published with athletic trainers, but also uh, neuropsychologists, as well as uh, physicians in order to um, hopefully provide more evidence for clinicians that need extra support to say, this is why we need to have a battery of tests. We need more resources for um, whether it's personnel or it's financial resources to help address this issue. For sure. And, and I, would, I would second that. And look, I, I, we'll wrap it up there, Jake, but thank you ever so much for your time. It's been a great conversation. Um, for listeners' um, benefit, I'll put a direct link to the um, paper in the show notes if you can follow Jake on Twitter it's at J-E-R-E-S-C-H uh, that would be great and I'll put a link equally to that in the show notes um, Jake once again thank you very much thank you so much it's been an absolute pleasure